Hear now from God's Word from Genesis chapter 45. Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out, Have everyone leave my presence. So he made himself known to his brothers, and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there's been famine in the land. And for the next five years, there will not be plowing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then, it was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, This is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, your children and your grandchildren, your flocks and your herds and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise, you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. Father, we pray that it is with softened hearts and opened ears that we hear this, your good word, that truly is alive and active. May it be so in us this day. May we show it to be so in the way that we respond. God, we simply desire to be obedient to the promptings and the direction and the guidance that you give to each of our hearts this day. Thank you for the gift of speaking. Now may we receive the gift of hearing. In your Son, Jesus' name, we pray together. Amen. Back when I was a teenager, I had the good fortune of going to the Illinois River in uh, northeastern Oklahoma to do a little canoeing. And I don't know if you've ever done any canoeing. This wasn't whitewater rafting. This was lazy, slow, easy canoeing down the river. Um, we saw a lot of things, as you might expect. We noticed trees and a lot of wildlife, uh, even a few water moccasins off to the edge. There were a lot of other men and women and children on the river that day. We even saw a guy whose back was so beet red with a sunburn, but somebody, instead of putting sunscreen on his back, had taken the sunscreen with their finger and written the word goofball. So while the rest of his back was beat red, in white letters, you could see a handwritten message, goofball. Sounds like something my sons would do to me. When we first got into the boat, uh, we we were paired up with one another, and we had to to learn to work together. I don't know if you've ever tried to steer a canoe with two people in it and two different paddles, but um, it doesn't take long before the more dominant personality rises to the top and uh, takes charge. And if you don't work together, you just simply go in 
circles, and so we learned to do that. When we first sat in the boat, it was fairly wobbly, and we had to learn how to get our balance and uh, to learn to sit properly in it and to work together. The journey along the way, there were a, a lot of smooth, placid portions of the river that were easy and fun and just kind of almost sat back and uh, you'd paddle a few strokes and just sit back and enjoy the drifting as you would go. And there were at times some rough patches where some rocks came and the water sped up. There were some really narrow places where you could hear the boat rubbing on the rocks beneath you and beside you. And of course, as a teenager, there were spots where you weren't really supposed to stop, but you did anyway. And you climbed up on the cliffs and, and you jumped into the water um, in barely uh, deep enough uh, pools. There were other pools along the way that were deep enough to swim in and have a lot of fun. To be honest, the journey was a lot longer than uh, we expected. Uh, 17-year-old kids, we, we thought we could manhandle the river and get along pretty quickly, but uh, you were sort of at the mercy of the river and at its pace as we went. And surprisingly, at the end of the day, we were pretty tired and worn out because of the journey that we had just taken. One of my favorite stories as a kid was uh, Mark Twain's story of Tom Sawyer. And one of the, the endearing uh, pictures of that book for me was uh, when he was on the riverboat and uh, was speaking to um, the, the captain, learning a little bit about uh, river navigation and knowing that uh, you have to learn a river in both directions. If you're going north, there are certain ways that you learn to navigate a river, but when you're coming back south... You have to learn to navigate it in other ways because there are shallow parts and uh, unexpected sandbars along the way. There are a lot of twists and turns and a lot of uh, different seasons that you have to understand where the, the water is higher uh, than at other seasons. And of course, uh, it's a picture for us of life, and that's been an endearing image to me. And uh, we know that life events can throw us at times flat on our back. Life events can also propel us into the heights of joy. Last week, as we looked at uh, the first part of Joseph's life, we, we were brought into the reality and rehearing again that God guides us through all of these movements of life. We learn from Joseph's life that God guides you through an imperfect family. And relationships that may not always be affirming and loving and uh, helpful to you. We learned last week and looked at his life of how God uh, guided him out of the pit that his brothers had sold him or placed him into. And uh, God would guide him through those moments of temptation when they were most strong and most overwhelming and most uh, serious for him. Joseph, of course, uh, landed in Egypt around 1800 B.C. and the life uh, we learned from his life that our lives might not be as perfect as we would want them to be. That our life that we live today might not be everything that we dreamt it to be or hoped for it to be. And maybe that's the result of the decisions or uh, multiple decisions that you've made. Or maybe you're living under the consequences of other people's choices and actions. But we know from Joseph's life. That part of growing and maturing in life and developing in faith is a call from God to embrace your life, to embrace my life, the life that you now live while you look to God for his guidance. Maybe today it's uh, you're looking for and needing guidance in 
healing or in the ability to forgive someone who has deeply wronged you or there's a broken relationship that continues to pester you because you know that you're the one who needs to go and seek reconciliation with that broken relationship, but you've hesitated and you need God to guide you into that. Maybe you're just in a long stretch of life and you need God's patience to endure. Today, as we continue here in Joseph's story in his life, we see more ways that God guides you as you look to him. We're not going to start here in chapter 45. We're going to flip back to chapter 40. And uh, we pick up the story uh, where we left it off last Sunday. You remember uh, Joseph's brothers took him and took off that that stinking coat that his dad gave him that was a reminder to his brothers of, of his favoritism of Joseph. And, and they dipped it in blood and handed it back to their dad. And they had sold Joseph into a slavery to that caravan of traders going by who then took him down into Egypt. And there he was sold into uh, the household of Potiphar. And before long, he uh, was managing the whole estate that Potiphar had. And um, his wife falsely accused him of wrongdoing, and he winds up in prison. And that's where we left him there. But we left him not alone because we were reminded that wherever Joseph was, God, of course, was already there. That God had already gone ahead of him, and God uh, dealt with him and met him even in those unexpected, undesired places. Today we pick up the story about a butler and a baker and this man named Joe. It's almost the, sounds more like the opening to a joke, doesn't it? Um, Three guys on an airplane. But uh, this really is the portion of the story where we learn what it means to wait upon God. Where Joseph is now in prison, gone from preferred son into the pit of um, uh, rejection from his family, sold as a slave, up to the the heights of managing this powerful uh, man of influence's home. Now he's down in prison, but God is still with him there. And we learn in Joseph's story here about how it is to wait upon God. While Joseph was in prison, flat on his back, powerless, he looked to God. The Bible tells us in verse 8 of chapter 40, um, where the, the, the cupbearer, really a cupbearer in that day, was, was like a butler, a man in charge of, uh, of Pharaoh's uh, uh, life and uh, his uh, chief of staff and coordinating his life. In verse 8 it says that the, the uh, cupbearer, the butler, the uh, baker comes to Joseph and they say, we both had dreams, but there's no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. And they go on to describe their dreams. And you can read them there uh, later if you like. But Joseph uh, very precisely interprets the two dreams. And uh, exactly what he said would come to pass three days later is exactly what happened. The baker goes on to his demise. The cupbearer uh, is restored back to his position. And uh, I was reminded of a story that I've shared with you before about Christian Hosoi. It may not be a familiar name to you. Christian Hosoi was a professional skateboarder, uh, really well-known uh, uh, many years ago. And um, he tells his story of faith of how he came to Christ. And he talks about as a young, young child, really, 12 years old, 13 years old, the opportunities and the access that was opened to him in his life. How he was on VIP lists and was one of the youngest persons allowed into uh, bars and clubs. 
As he got into his early teens, 14, 15 year old, he uh, begins to describe his drug abuse. And and he describes himself as he continues to age uh, into his later teenage years, he describes himself as a bucket full of holes. And no matter what he tried to put into his life, his life just continued. All of that just seemed to run through him, out of him. Nothing ever seemed to, to really fill him to the place where he wanted and needed the place of contentment. And finally, he uh, gets arrested because of drug possession and he gets thrown into jail. And he's talking to his girlfriend on the phone and, and his girlfriend begins to talk to him about his need for God. And his initial response, as he's sitting in jail, he said, God, what in the world do I need God for? I need a lawyer. I need tangible ways to help guide me out of this position I find myself in. But it was through the influence and the interaction that he had with his girlfriend where he finally came to a place of realizing that that his life, that as he described it as a bucket full of holes, that it was in a relationship with Christ Jesus, that that bucket of his life, those holes could be patched. And the life that Christ filled in him would satisfy and sustain him so that those very things that he sought to bring fulfillment to him were not not needed, that they were not the answer for him. But his relationship of walking with Christ alone was the one. But it took him being flat on his back in jail to come to a place of looking up and seeking out and being aware of God's work and love for him. Now, Joseph is in jail. These two come to him seeking a response to their dreams that were troubling to them or unknown at least. And uh, Joseph interprets those dreams. Three days later, um, the cupbearer finds himself back in his position of uh, importance and influence there in the kingdom of Pharaoh. But for two years, there was silence. Joseph pleads with them. He says, look, to the cupbearer, he says, when you get back to Pharaoh, would you tell him that I am stuck here in this jail because of the injustice done to me by my brothers? I'm not deserving of being here uh, because of the injustice and the false accusations of Potiphar's wife. I stand here and I do not belong. But two years went by and Joseph's name never crossed the lips of the cupbearer to Pharaoh. It says in verse 23 of chapter 40, the chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. But we know that while Joseph was there, even though the cupbearer may have forgotten Joseph, that while Joseph lay sitting in that prison, God had never forgotten him. God was still working while Joseph was waiting. You see, God guides you and me in the waiting of life. Had God forgotten him? Of course not. What happens while we wait upon God? Well, we learn some various textures of prayer life. We learn what the psalmist means when he asks, God, have you turned your face from me? We learn what it is to be persistent in our prayer when we don't see immediately God's hand at work. When we can't understand what it is that God might be working in the midst of these circumstances that are not... uh, comfortable to us. We learn to pray. We, we learn that in those waiting moments, that behind the scenes and unknown and unseen often to us, God is working with other people. We learn that God is also working in the circumstances of our life because we would find out later that Pharaoh has a dream 
And uh, in that dream, um, he would be troubled in his life. And uh, he would come wondering what in the world is, is happening in these dreams. And uh, no one in his kingdom, nobody trained in dream interpretation could come and help resolve this troubled dream that Pharaoh had. But the cupbearer kind of knocks himself on the head. Oh, wait a minute. I remember when I was back in jail, Pharaoh, in verse 9 of chapter 41. This is what the cupbearer says. The, the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh today, I'm reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream that same night, and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. We told him our dreams, and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position, and the other man was hanged. Here, finally, after two long years of waiting, the cupbearer remembers Joseph. The cupbearer gives testimony of what Joseph had done, really what God had done through Joseph. While Joseph had been waiting in, uh, in that prison, it can be challenging to be waiting for God when we don't see or don't understand his hand in the moments of our lives. It can be challenging when we're waiting for a child to turn or a marriage to heal or a work position to open up or an educational route to be completed. But as you and I pray and as we trust that God is active in the ways that we don't see, we, we begin to grow and understand his working in our life. You see, it's, of course, around God's timing and around his purposes. I love the story of a church who once was baptizing about 25 people one day. And uh, when uh, they got down to the person about 12th in line to be baptized, all of a sudden, uh, as they were out in this outdoor baptistry area, and a, a large crowd from the church had gathered to rejoice in the baptism. And they'd gone through 11 other baptisms, and here comes number 12. And suddenly, out of that, that crowd gathered, uh, a woman starts making her way up through the crowd. She's crying out, Nine! Nine! And as she makes her way up to the crowd, she says, this is my brother. And for nine years, I've prayed for his salvation. For nine years, I've prayed that I would rejoice in his being baptized here and his life being given over to the joy and wonder of the Lord. Nine years, I've waited. Nine years, I've prayed. Nine years, I've talked with my brother. And today, I get to rejoice in what God has done. Joseph, two years later, the cupbearer remembers him, but God had not forgotten. Pharaoh, when he learns that there's this young Hebrew in jail who can interpret dreams in verse 14 of chapter 41, it says, So Pharaoh sent for Joseph, and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh says to him, I... I've had a dream that's troubling to me, and I understand that you might be able to help me. And Joseph says, well, it's not me, Pharaoh. He says, I cannot do it, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. 
So we learn that through all of the all of the turns of our life, just like with Joseph, that God guides us into the waiting moments of life. We learn in Joseph's life that God guides him and he guides us to help us with the familiar phrase to bloom where you're planted. He helps you to bloom wherever God has planted you. We read in verse 41 and verse 42 of chapter 41, later after Joseph had interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, this is what happens. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. And he dressed him in the robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, make way, make way. Thus he put Joseph in charge of the whole land of Egypt. As we uh, condense the story in the amazing way that God works, we find now that as Joseph has gone from being flat on his back to now being squarely upright on his feet, the the Bible would describe he has uh, two different sons um, named Forgetting and Fruitful. He, uh, uh, we know that the, the son Manasseh, uh, he would describe him as, uh, he named him Manasseh because God had made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. You see, with Joseph, we learn that God is guiding him to bloom where he has been now planted. Regardless of the difficulties he endured, he looked to God to move him beyond the agony of that rejection that he had felt from his brothers. And his son was helping him forget that. God was working through that. But at the same time that he's moving beyond the agony, Joseph is centering his thoughts on rejoicing on rejoicing at the good that is happening right there in the midst of these dark places. His second son, Ephraim, was named so because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. Joseph's now on his feet. Does he still need God? Of course he does. When he's flat on his back, he needs God. And when he's squarely on his feet, he needs God just as much. He knows that what makes life, sense out of life, uh, is God. He knows that life is lived most fruitfully when he is wrapped in God. Recently, right here in this, in this congregation, our dear sister Selena Wong and her daughter Alice were baptized. Right here in the baptistry behind me. We uh, rejoiced in what God has done in their lives. They made a decision for Alice, who's a high school student, to remain here in the county and um, to go to high school. And uh, Selena, the mom, uh, tried in vain over and over to get a renewed visa but uh, she was denied that, was forced to go back to China to wait for a season before her visa would be renewed. And during that period of, of transitions, of difficulties, of unexpected delays, and not being able to be here with her daughter to, to stay, she uh, was getting an education on trusting and relying on God, even in moments when she can't see. And through this process, this was one step in her journey of realizing that God's way is the best way. Well, Selena began to share her faith with her husband, Mr. Zong. 
Mr. Zong is the director of a Hong Kong bank, and um, one weekend they were trying to take a, a short trip to another country together, just a weekend getaway. But um, uh, Selena had forgotten her passport that day. This is interesting because uh, if you know Selena, you would know the, how very detailed she is, how very organized she is. I'm one who it wouldn't be unexpected to be uh, forgetting a passport, but not not Selena. But this day she had forgotten her passport, and so they had to cancel their weekend getaway. Well, the very next day, Mr. Zong came down with a very serious um, stomach condition and had to be hospitalized and actually had a procedure on it. So not only would their weekend have been ruined but uh, because of his health issue, but um, he was in a position now because of these small little events to be, uh, to be hospitalized and well taken care of. But it was during that hospitalization that he finally began to pray with Selena to come to faith. See, Mr. Zong didn't think that uh, Christian faith uh, was uh, compatible with people who were successful, with people who were standing squarely on their own feet, with people who were capable of living life in their own strength. But what he was learning through this was indeed, regardless of whether you're on your feet or flat on your back, that it is God and God alone to which you must fix your eyes. Well, just recently, Mr. Zong at their church in Hong Kong, publicly shared that he had given his life and his heart to the Lord Jesus. And he is now counted as one of our brothers. Isn't that good? It is so good. Joseph is learning, as Mr. Zong has learned, as many of us have learned, that with God guiding us, we discover how we can bloom where we are planted. Because now Joseph is ready for the amazing events of his brothers turning up 20 years later. 20 years after they took that coat from their father as a gift to Joseph off of Joseph's body. 20 years after they threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. They now find themselves in Egypt because of a famine. 20 years have gone by. Joseph recognizes his brothers when they stand before him. But they don't recognize him. When we compare Joseph in chapter 42 to his brothers, we see something remarkable at this point of the story, that Joseph has gone through a lot of changes and has seen a lot of growth in his own life, a lot of growth that actually the suffering has helped be instrumental in providing. But his brothers appear relatively the same and unchanged. And there's a series of interesting events uh, and tests that Joseph puts them in from chapters 42 to 44. Uh, trying to get their youngest brother to come down, Benjamin, the brother from his uh, own mother. It's a series of events that leads to the final episode of this healing of this fractured family. So not only is God guiding Joseph during the waiting period, not only does God guide you in your seasons of waiting, not only has God guided Joseph so that wherever he is, and whatever the circumstances, wherever God has planted him, he was able to bloom just like you and I are because we trust in God's work. We see finally today that God guides you to be able to bless others. We learn from Joseph's great-grandfather, that God Abraham, that God was going to bless Abraham and through him he was going to bless all the nations. That God blesses each one of us in Christ so that you and I might in turn be a blessing to those around us with the gospel 
of peace. Abraham Lincoln once said that nearly all men can stand adversity, but if you want to test a man's character, give him power. Joseph has now risen to a place of power. He is a powerful man. His brothers now, 20 years later, stand before him. Joseph could have really done whatever he wanted with them. He could have exacted revenge. Instead, he chooses to exact reconciliation. He evaluated his own life, the twists, the turns, the troubles, the triumphs, and he concluded that his life story was part of God's bigger story. And at the end of this story, chapter 50, verse 20, Joseph would say, Brothers, what you intended for evil, God intended for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. Joseph was in a position of power. Joseph was in a position to bless instead of curse. And God blesses you and I so that we might bless others, not because they necessarily deserve it, not because um, uh, you feel like it necessarily, but because your life story is part of God's story. If God indeed has blessed you in Christ, then God intends to bless others through your life. St. Francis is credited with this quote, Lord, prayer perhaps, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light. Where there is sadness, joy. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive It is in pardoning that we are pardoned, and it is in dying that we are born to eternal life. Amen. That is the life of blessing. Joseph reveals himself to his brothers, as we've read. And one of his first actions is to give his brothers new clothes. That's an interesting reality that emerges up through the story, this idea of clothing. Being clothed and having clothing taken off. Being reclothed and having those removed. Being in places of humility and places of honor. Your life today may not be perfect. It may not be what you've hoped. Maybe you need God's guidance into healing or forgiveness. Reconciliation of a broken relationship. Or just mere patience to endure. The call of Christ goes out today. He calls to those flat on their backs and are powerless. He calls to those who are on their feet and powerful and have abundant opportunities. He calls to you in the place to place your life in his, to take his life as your own. Christ has come as God's provision to bring you to himself and to gather you into a relationship of respect and love and trust. The Bible says that if you confess with your mouth that Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you will know what it is to have life with him, that you will be saved. The Bible also says that we are to put off our old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, so that we might be made new in the attitudes of our minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness. And holiness, taking off of the old self, 
and wrapping yourself, being wrapped in the presence and personality of Jesus Christ. Father, that is our great prayer this morning, is that you would wrap us so that we might be your person, we might be your son, your daughter. You have blessed us in Christ. May we bless others because of your great love for us. Thank you for reminding us. Thank you for teaching us through the life of Joseph. May we now live the life. May we now be blooming where you've planted us. May we see your guidance through those waiting seasons. May we be yours, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.